0: Dave. Good morning, friends. Uh, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. You're healthy and well. And um, getting ready for some spring break. that's uh, always welcome. Always time to get a little rest. Have some fun. Uh, or to be able to minister to people. And I didn't mean that. Like spiritual people will be ministering. The rest of you just have a good time. I, um, I want to tell you a a, a powerful tragic uh but sad very sad story uh this morning but i want to wrap that story up around an even more powerful and a happier truth so uh th- this is a story that uh is is in scripture it's a historical event uh, that happened and it leads us to this big idea this is our big idea the message today And really what the big idea is, is just a paraphrase of a psalm. There are two psalms that this scripture led my heart to. One uh, will be expressed in in the big idea, which is uh, from Psalm 103, verse 4. And it says this, He redeems your life from shame, and He crowns you with faithful love and compassion with loving kindness and compassion. He takes your ashes and He gives you a crown. That's the big message. That's the idea uh, for, for today. And the action point is simply just to lean into that, to allow Holy Spirit just to wash over you today with truth. Uh, so we'll, we'll express it like this. To leave all your wounds, your shame, your humiliation your broken heart, all of that with Jesus. Just leave that with Jesus. He's going to bring such a deep healing into your heart, into your life. Perhaps like you've never known, even if you've been a follower of his. If you say, well, you know, I've been a Christian since I was a teenager or since I was a young adult or even a child. Uh, But I've always had this, this brokenness, this wounded place. My heart is that God will either begin, will initiate, uh, or continue a deep healing uh, in you today. That's what he longs to do. So here's the story. Uh, it's, it's not a pleasant story. It's an, it's an R-rated story uh, from Scripture uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And I told the tech guys, I read this in every version, went even back to the Hebrew, which I'm terrible at. Uh, and kind of tried to hammer it out. And and I looked looked at several... read it over and again over the last several weeks. And uh, there's just not a good way to tell it. So I'm just going to read it. I'm going to use the the, um, English Standard Version. Uh, And they all read almost exactly the same. The intent, uh, the language doesn't change. It just varies very, very little from translation to translation. Here's the story. Now Absalom, David's son had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. One of the unique things I saw in the Hebrew, and I don't want to be vulgar, but actually anything is not in the original text. It just says it was impossible for Amnon to do her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar. My brother Absalom's sister, Jonadad, said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send everyone out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber, that is the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where would I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king. He will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her, and he lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get out! Go! But she said to him, No! My brother, for this is wrong in sending me away. It's greater than the other that you've done to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young men who served and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So when his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now, hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. The story continues and it unfolds over the next three years and Absalom waits somewhat impatiently but comes up with a strategy and a plan to get revenge and makes sure that Amnon is murdered. And it grieves the king and Absalom has to flee and then David misses Absalom and wants him to come back and then Through a series of events, Absalom rebels and tries to take over the kingdom, and then David has to flee. All of these events just come tumbling one after the other in this this tragic story in the life of this family. What a messed up family. I've read this event a, a lot of times. I'm a pastor, (laughs) so one of the things I do is read the Bible, and I've read this story a lot, but I read it again, Uh, I reread it a few weeks ago one morning, Um, not intending anything, just reading it, but some thoughts came to my mind and to my heart about it, and so I just made some notes in my journal, and a few days went by, and I I was drawn back to this story, and I made... More notes and and this this happened over the last several weeks, and I had no idea at that time it was it was not um, anywhere in my thought that I would be standing here today, and that this would have become a sermon or a message. but over the last week or so, I pulled all these notes together to see if there was any coherency there and and they just began to drop into place. Almost like the pieces of a puzzle. And so here we are. Somehow this has become just alive in my heart. And I hesitated to say this. I went for a walk last night and just thought about, should I even mention that? And I thought, yeah, because I I want you to see behind some of the scenes. But I felt the pain of this woman, Tamar. Somehow, it just came to me across all this time that's between us and all the distance that separates us. And and I hope that doesn't sound silly or overly dramatic, but it's true. Somehow, I connected with Tamar's heart, and maybe you have too. Or maybe you will today. And I hope you'd let your heart be vulnerable and let yourself feel um, the hurt in her life. Verse 2 says that Amnon was so tormented with his lust. And and some of you have been there. You have just felt so full of lust. He just made himself sick over it. he's He's out of control. He just gets physically sick. And he has a friend who's also his cousin, and this is a sneaky guy. And He's one of those guys, you know, in your friend group or in your family, there's usually one person that says, Hey, I got an idea, you know, and they're the first one. Maybe it's you uh, to come up with uh, the idea, and it's not a good idea usually, uh, but you follow after it. Well, that was this guy. So they made up a lie. To be able to sin. They made a lie so that they could sin. And that's what you usually do. Before you sin, you've got to have a lie in place or you're going to follow it with one. So there's a lie. um, And then the, the, the table is set. He lied to his father. He lied to Tamar. And then he abused her. And he raped her. And he humiliated Verse 15 said that after he had used her for his own gratification, he hated her. With the same passion that he had lusted after her with, now he hated her. And folks, I want you to know that is the way sin works. That's the way it works. Be careful of your feelings. Be careful what you want for so much that you think is going to make you sick. God does not work like that. It's always a deception from the beginning until the end. It's always a deception. After he had her, again, in the scripture it says it's just awful. I shouldn't say it again. But it said that he when he after he did her, he he said, in front of her, put this woman out of my sight. This woman? Are you serious? It's Tamar. she has a name, and you loved her. You wanted her. It's all you could think about. And now she's this woman. Be careful. be careful. I, I, I say this especially to the ladies, but I say it to men too. Whatever somebody comes after you, how, what they want what do they want from you and what you think. Will draw them into your heart. What you think will be what attracts them. Be careful. Dr. Rogers used to say, Be careful whatever you catch them with because that's what it's going to take to keep them with. Get this woman out of my sight. I can't even look at her now. The verse that really touched my heart and that just sort of stayed in my head is verse 13. When Tamar says this, and you can just hear in her voice the pleading, uh, the hurt, the the wonder, the, 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 the precaution. No, 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 no. She says, as for me, where would I carry my shame? Sin is never a private thing. You think it is. You try to keep it that way, but it will always affect you more deeply than you realize. It will affect other people. It, it just has these repercussions beyond what you thought it would have. And usually, usually for other people besides you, other people are going to be hurt. You've got circles around you of relationships, Tamar asked, where will I take my shame? I think she was asking this, and some of you have asked this question in your heart. So now, who am I? Who am I now? Has this changed who I am and how I see myself? What story am I a part of now? Some of you have asked, and someone has asked me this question about themselves. Am I now damaged goods? Is this me now forever? Is this how I see myself? The answer is no. But this is an echo. This is an echo of the first occurrence when sin, uh, when shame had entered the lives of human beings. Can you imagine living a life without the sensation of shame? I mean it just di- it's such a powerful emotion. I mean it just controls and rules and it's always subtly there influencing the way we think, the way we act and all of these behaviors that are the fruit of shame. I think the first person to feel that was the woman in the garden. God asked Eve, Who told you you were naked? How do you know? Who told you that? Because for the first time in her life, she felt that burning embarrassment and that self-consciousness that shame always brings with it. I'm going to ask you something. It's going to be hard for some of you. Is being a victim of sexual assault a part of your shame story? You could be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. You can't deny it. and You can't minimize it. However, you can't let it become the story of your life. That is not what defines you. It has not somehow become your identity. Do not write the story of your life around shame. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means for you, it may have been... Sexual. It may not have been. It could have been something else. That's not your story. The enemy has used it long enough to cripple you, to torture you. Today is your freedom day. Jesus came into the world so that neither your sins, Or the sins that were committed against you. Would ever, ever, ever be the defining story of your life. His is a story of redemption. Not shame. Hear me. Jesus took all of your shame. It was there. It was in Him. It was on the cross. You can let it go. You don't have to carry it or bear it anymore. I want you to think about this. He was resurrected with His scars. They're still visible. His shame... His humiliation is still there to be seen. The only man-made things we'll ever find in heaven are the scars that we put on the body of Jesus. In fact, that's what he shows his disciples, his wounds, to prove it's really me. The crucifixion was real. I know sometimes Thomas has been cast as kind of the bad guy in the story. Like he was the one who doubted. He was the one who couldn't accept this. And everybody else was, oh, Jesus, we're all in. And Thomas is like, not me, not yet. What did he want to see? What did he want to see? He said, here's when I'll believe when I see those wounds. Woundedness and scars." That's something we could connect to. That's how Jesus saved us. By his stripes, we have been healed. By his wounds, we've known redemption. Scripture says that this is how Jesus, in a way, earned our salvation so that we don't have to. It's through that woundedness. So whatever way you've been hurt, remember this when you leave. Jesus has scars too. He knows. He knows. He was used. He was rejected. He was tortured. He knows. thought about this and maybe just maybe and I'm not one to judge because I'm just not uh, who I'm gonna mention here it was King David. I think he's probably one of the became one of the godliest men to ever walk this planet. He was King David. I mean he had an amazing journey and he had a lot of ups and downs and slips and backs and forth. But he had a heart after God and so I don't say this in judgment. I think David wasn't a very good parent. He wasn't a great dad. I don't say that because of this one incident. I say it because there is a pattern of doing nothing uh, in regard to his children's behaviors for his entire you know, time with them, that he had them. Parents, listen. Parents, pay attention. You don't get to be the one who does nothing. That's for us, the grandparents. I get to be the one who does nothing. Yesterday morning at 10 o'clock when they said, can we have candy? The answer was, well, yes, of course you can have candy. That's part of a good breakfast. What do you want? M&M's? Snickers? Skittles. You don't get to be that person. Maybe what fueled that was that David had carried his shame from his affair with Bathsheba and what he did to Uriah. And he had tried so hard to cover his shame that it wasn't until later he dealt with it that he felt he was ineligible. That he didn't have the right to say anything to Amnon or to Absalom or his children. He was still the dad. Absalom's shame he had a different personality and it would be expressed in dark violence and in revenge and he would come to a terrible end I almost couldn't believe as I read this that Absalom shushed his sister Shh, stop talking about it don't, don't tell anybody Shh, into silence and then he dismissed her And one of the most hurtful things, I think, one of the most insensitive things he could have ever said is he even told her, don't take this to heart. Women, can you imagine? Have you heard that? In verse 20, he says, don't take it to heart. Seriously. I mean, she had already taken it to heart. It's a little late. How could she not? This was so intimate, so personal, and so powerful in her life. And that same verse, the next sentence says she lived out her life as a desolate woman in Absalom's house of all places. It became to her a house of shame. Absalom wasn't the only one who was mad about this. The word that scripture uses says that David was furious. He was in rage. But you know what he did? He didn't do anything. No action to Amnon. No kindness or comfort to Tamar. He didn't hold her close and reassure her. He's angry. But he's silent. And in that silence and in that inaction, he opened the door for Absalom to murder his brother. Absalom did what he did, and he has to take responsibility of that. But the door was opened by his daddy. So why does David be so quiet and not do anything at all. I'm a dad. I'm an armed dad. Perhaps it's only speculation. Because I'm a preacher and we make things preachery sometimes. But I think it could be an amplification of his own sin with Bathsheba And the fact that there was this lingering shame that this brought to the surface for him. So he just didn't say anything. Where can I carry my shame? May have been a question that David had asked himself. A hundred times over, again and again. And his answer had always come back nowhere. Until David repented. He poured out his shame and his heart to the Lord, and he found forgiveness. And he found freedom. And if you want to read where this led him, in Psalm 63, we have this beautiful passage that was written. And we think it was written while David was on the run from his son Absalom. It could have been one of two times in his life. And both of those instances would have been when David was in exile. So David is running from this son who had murdered his brother, the brother who had raped his sister. I mean, this is just a mess. And now David's hiding in caves trying to get away. But in the process of this, and you can read Psalm 51, you can read and see David's heart when he turned to the Lord. And now his confidence and his joy, he finally found peace and he found freedom in the Lord. So it doesn't have to be forever. And I don't know what's happened with you, to you, from you, all about you. But I know there's forgiveness and there's freedom in the Lord. Tamar lived as a desolate woman. No woman. No man. Statistics say that one out of uh, about 70 or 80 men in the U.S. have been raped. So, women, I'm speaking specifically to you, but men, I see you. No one should live a desolate life who are in Christ. Never. Daughters. Sisters, you are precious. You are cherished. You are deeply loved by God. sons brothers you are not broken by your sin you have a place for your shame it's at the cross you can be free you are free We dignify your grief and your pain today. You are not shameful anymore. Whatever you've done, whatever was done to you in Christ, you are beautiful and you are treasured and you are clean. Only the gospel only Jesus can break the cycle of alienation, of isolation. The word for shame here, kirpa, is is used about five times in the Old Testament. It's the same word that when David was young... And you remember he was a shepherd and he showed up to the battlefield and he shouldn't have been there. He was not a warrior, he was not a fighter, but he wanted to know what was going on. And his brother said, you have no business here, this is a place for men. And it said that there was a giant named Goliath who would lumber out and stalk out in front Of the Israelis every day and he would stride back and forth. And the scripture says that he would taunt Israel. And David would be the one who would save this nation. That word taunt, that verb, is translated in this passage as shame. Goliath was a giant who shamed a nation. Every day he would come out and shame them and taunt them. Listen, your sin has taunted you long enough. Your giant has tried to shame you every day. He doesn't want you to know that you already have the victory over him. Do not let the enemy taunt you any longer. He has no power over you. Genesis 30 says, God has taken away my shame. Same word. So, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your childhood was like, what your adolescence, your adult life. I don't know where you've been. I don't know who you are. So, I don't know anything, okay? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I, I, I would sit and I listen to, to other speakers and I think, does he know something? Is he talking to somebody in particular? I would never do that in this place. I would never manipulate you. I would never use this moment to try to speak to someone specifically outside of leading the Holy Spirit. You can trust my heart. So whatever your history wherever you are at this moment, whatever you've done, whatever you're about to do, bring all your wounds, your guilt, your shame, bring your whole heart to the Lord and take Him at His word. He is able. He is able. I promise you. We live in a very sexualized society. And so the whole context of this is obviously, you know, the orientation of it is, 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 is um, influenced or, you know, with, with this, this sexual innu- innuendo. But it may be that, that yours is not anywhere near that. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Or it may be. I, I, don't, I don't know. All I know is that shame has no place in your life. So if you've been abused, if sexual sin or sexual addiction has gripped your life, and it expresses itself in so many ways, it could be, should I even, you know, pornography or adultery or homosexuality or promiscuity, uh, it could be, I mean, it could just, it could be in so many different ways, but it's one of those things that you think you're going to love, but the enemy will come back and he'll turn it to hate and he'll turn it to bitterness. He'll make it into ashes. So this is a hard truth, but a needed truth for you today. And yeah, I'm looking at you guys and I'm looking at you, but I'm looking at all of you too. Let the Lord bring deep healing and restoration and redemption. Now we started with a beautiful thought and we're going to close with a beautiful thought. It's Psalm 103, verse 4. And I'm going to ask you to stand and just as an affirmation, let's read this together. And then you may need to just say, Lord, I surrender. I bring it all to you. You forgive me and you set me free. Father, I forgive and I set free. Here's, here's the scripture. Are you ready? Let's say it together. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion.